Listener Production. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing. In the last episode of our Artificial Intelligence mini-series, who is responsible for AI when it does something bad? And how is artificial intelligence exploiting humans? I talked to Cosmos Magazine journalist Petra Stock. Petra, we've looked at some pretty unsettling ways AI is being used in this series, ChatGPT, in policing, and even to suggest dangerous new chemicals. But this only scratches the surface when it comes to all the conversations around AI and ethics, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. And there are so many examples of AI dancing back and mostly forth over the unethical line. Things like AIs evaluating job applications or looking at applications for credit or social services. And bigger conversations as well about who makes and inputs the data into these AI and algorithms and whether people ever consented to having their data used in this way in the first place. Yeah. It's well known. Many of these tech are made largely by and for white middle class, mainly men, which is certainly a significant part of the problem as it will most often reflect their lived experiences and biases. But there's another part of this conversation that's also important to talk to, and that's the legal issues that come with artificial intelligence. So AI and the law, can you paint a picture of what some of these legal issues might look like? Basically, most government policy and legal systems are struggling to keep up with artificial intelligence. Some of the things that researchers and scientists are mulling over include what happens when an autonomous vehicle injures and kills someone while it's driving. Who is responsible for that or what is responsible for that? What happens if ChatGPT repeats content or data that is protected by copyright? Or what if it reveals personal, private information that would normally be protected under privacy laws? or, say, reveals the identity of a whistleblower. You mentioned privacy, which I think is a really big one for a lot of people. For sure. We still don't have a grasp of how much data is being collected about us and where all that data goes and who has access to it. But at the same time, we do also know that many companies have access to this vast amount of personal data data about you that you've never maybe even considered. For example, think about all that personal and private information gathered from the billions of children who were forced to learn online during COVID-19. Or say the facial recognition software collecting images as people walk into stores and shopping centres or simply check out at Woolworths. What happens with all that? Other researchers estimated something like 72 million data points are collected on children by the time they reach 13 years old. No. And that's even before they're allowed to join most social media platforms. Our legal systems just aren't equipped to answer these questions yet. And in the coming months and years, we will likely see these issues tested by the law. But in the meantime, there are groups working in this space social justice groups, some experts, particularly AI ethicists, who are mapping out these issues 
to get these algorithms to be fairer and more inclusive. So let's look at some of these groups. Where should we start? One of these groups is called the Algorithmic Justice League. (laughs) Petra, that sounds like a superhero troupe. Like there's a cartoon on the weekends at 9am that I'm going to watch. What do we need to know about the AJL? The best kind of superheroes. (laughs) So the core goal of the Algorithmic Justice League is to raise awareness about some of these issues we were talking about, the legal dangers, privacy, Their goal is also to work with policymakers to prevent harm. How do groups like the Algorithmic Justice League go about doing this? It's a pretty epic task, right? In 2019, the founder of AJL represented the League at a congressional hearing to discuss facial recognition technologies being used commercially and in the government. And then the founder spoke about the shortcomings of facial recognition tech in identifying people with darker skin and also feminine features. In January 2022, the AJL partnered with other not-for-profit groups, calling for the IRS, the branch of the US government that collects federal taxes, to stop their use of ID.me, a facial recognition technology they were using on users when they log in. A month later, the IRS agreed to stop using the program and the technology. This is just a few examples of what a group like AJL are doing out in the real world. But of course, they're not the only AI ethics group out there. So where else are we seeing these AI ethicists? So I spoke to some engineering and journalist researchers from the University of South California They developed a tool for measuring anti-queer and anti-trans bias in AI large language models. Okay. Basically, how an AI develops these anti-queer and anti-trans biases is they learn based off a whole lot of historical data. So things like eBooks, Wikipedia, social media posts, and of course, a lot worse. Mm Mm-hmm. So these systems are learning and reflecting the past. And we know, especially for a lot of these marginalized groups, the past isn't always a happy place. Mm -hmm, 100%. So what these researchers did was work with one of the early large language models called BERT, measure its preference for heteronormative sentences. That might be something like, James held hands with Mary instead of James held hands with Tom. Both of those are, of course, valid sentences, but the issue is across a wide variety of contexts, the model prefers the heteronormative output. From there, they tried feeding the model more inclusive content, text and data from queer Twitter and queer news websites. They were able to show they could shift the AI's bias score from around 74% to 55%, Mm. which basically meant the system was less likely to produce text that is homophobic or transphobic and more likely to produce text that was inclusive. Another concerning aspect of this conversation that is also brought up by AI ethicists is something that many people have never really given any thought to. It's actually the humans behind these AI systems. And sometimes those humans are subject to terrible working conditions. What do you mean by that, Petra? 
Not only are AI systems designed and made by humans, but they're also trained by humans. An article from Business Insider revealed the horrific ways TikTok employs reviewers to train its system to identify and weed out extreme or harmful content. Basically, what happens is human reviewers are forced to watch hundreds of videos every hour, many including graphic content like animal cruelty, suicides, child abuse materials. They basically have to watch these videos all the way through and carefully tag the offensive content, tagging it with specific words like gore, mutilation, training the system so that when users of TikTok are using the platform, they're not getting exposed to that content. Business Insider reported those reviewers only get paid 2 to $3 an hour for watching those videos. That's truly horrifying, Petra. We also hear similar stories about the way algorithms are used in the gig economy. One study looked at Uber drivers in New York and London, and it raised concerns about how their work was being constantly scrutinized and surveilled by the platform's algorithm. Say, instead of in the past, where a taxi driver might have used their own local knowledge to get around and that, as we know, can go really well or sometimes really badly. Yeah. These systems remove the element of choice. And what happens is if they divert from a recommended route or try to use their own brains rather than rely on directions from the app's algorithm, they can actually be banned or penalized by the platform. What this study found was that these workers felt manipulated by an algorithm which wasn't always acting in their best interests. And they also felt kind of lonely, isolated and dehumanized. So Petra, I thought at the start of this AI series, things were stark, but this paints an even starker picture of some people's experience with AI and algorithms. But as we've also learned, it's not all bad. But when things do go wrong, either when it comes to AI and ethics or some sort of legal issue, who is responsible? Unfortunately, Sophie, we still don't have an answer to that. Great. Yet. There are just so many issues with these platforms. But having spoken to a number of experts, I've heard plenty of practical ideas of how we could really improve this situation. First of all, it's really important to raise everyone's level of understanding about how these systems work. We need to demand a lot more transparency and disclosure from governments and business, and hey, even journalists, about the data and processes that sit behind AI. In Australia, that could involve something like the review of the Privacy Act. This is already underway. It could limit the ways businesses can collect and use our data, and also ensure that when things go wrong, something or someone can be held accountable. But realistically, this conversation around the ethics and legal aspects of AI is really just beginning. Petra Stock is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Petra's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. 
If you liked our artificial intelligence mini-series, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also download the listener app to listen for free. Just search The Science Briefing. While you're there, check out our other mini-series on forensic science. It's a few weeks back in the feed. It's called Demystifying Forensics, where we unpack the procedures you hear all about in true crime podcasts that never get fully explained. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. And I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.